DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome in David Locke, his weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. Nine months ago today, boys. Nine months ago today. Yeah. Your whole internal basketball clock, the rhythm of the seasons, completely shattered, which, of course, I realize is, you know, in order of stories, uh, importance, not even the top 100,000 stories, but we're doing sports, so we'll stick with that. You ready for a little preseason basketball? Yeah, I think actually, though, what you just brought up is, I think, one of the most untalked about stories. Um, I think there's a few kind of things going on in the league right now, and everything's so unnatural and so rushed that I'm not sure the the guys who are doing analysis of it have actually had the time to do the analysis of it. And I think that one right there is probably, you know, one of the biggest ones. And that is, um, and I think it's going to impact veterans a great deal um, that these guys are creatures of habit. And, you know, you know, Ray Allen used to talk about, I'm not a little OCD. I'm a lot OCD. Um, And, you know, I think that that, um, these guys have figured out a pattern and a rhythm of how they do things and it's completely disrupted. And so as much as they're probably trying to get ready and think they're, you know, they're not quite, I think it's going to impact that. It's like some of the younger players. Wow. Okay. So my, you know, my system's gotten disrupted. I, I didn't have a system, but you know, from our standpoint for a Mike Conley or some of that sort, who's been in the league for 13 years, like this is a pretty significant disruption. I, I think some of those veteran players are going to be um, a little off their game. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the, the old, usually if you think about major significant injuries in our league, it's actually younger players. Usually I don't know significant injuries, but I could see some of the older players having some injury issues. Um, so I, I, that's a storyline I'm going to watch really early in the season. I, I think that's going to be very significant to what's taking place in the league. So what kind of start the Jazz going to get off to then? Uh, well, I mean, you we would hope, you know, the Jazz traditionally under Quinn have not started well, but you would hope that's not the case this year because of the fact that they have continuity. And from all the research Kevin Pelton of ESPN has done, continuity has kind of a lasting uh of a few months, not a whole season. Usually you right. kind of can see an uptick for a few months and we have that, um, you know, that crazy road trip they have early. I actually think is probably, you know, if there's any team that can survive it, it's us because of the fact that they, they've been together. They know each other. They have that camaraderie. Um, and, you know, even adding in favors, uh, talking to people that, you know, are at practice and things, you know, one of the things is not that has been kind of relayed to me is that knowledge of the system is super high right now, yeah. and it's allowed them to to progress through. So hopefully, uh, we'll see a team start better than it has in years past. When you talk about people who are at practice, I don't know if everyone's aware, but in the past, the broadcasters were I don't know if required is right, but expected to be there if not all the time or, a lot. Or or, ex- or let's rephrase it, just. Excite! I mean, I just thought one of the greatest gifts I've ever had was well, yeah, to be able for you, to have a front row seat, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, so, I wasn't required, or like it was just like what an incredible honor and luxury to be able to go to watch practice. Like but it's that. all, so, but it's all different now. You're not. Are you going to be allowed anywhere near the locker room? Or I've even heard stuff about no, no. hallways and being just. They're really trying to. The bubble refers to Orlando, but within the fact they're playing home games, they're trying to keep people away and kind of keep guys in the bubble. Aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect at this point that I'll call an NBA season without talking to a player or coach in person. 
How much is that going to impact what you do? Uh, I'll do the best job that I possibly can, David, and deliver an incredible broadcast to our fans. <laughs> so a lot, huh? <laughs> like, I mean, I, you know, we can do a self-evaluation of what my strengths and weaknesses are some other time, but I would say that most of the things I think I do really well involve that concept. So I've been talking about it this week. I've been listening to some NBA radio. There's a guy on there. I don't know his last name. His first name was Cam, and he was doing a oh, show. No. He usually does a show with uh, Antonio Daniels, but he was doing it with uh, – AD. AD is one of the more fun people I've covered in my career. He's pretty good. But this particular day he was doing it with uh, oh, um, Reggie Theus. Uh, maybe maybe his name is Rick. I'm looking it up right now in Sirius Jackson. Yeah. Uh, but I was listening to it the other day, and he had the Jazz at seventh in the postseason. Yeah, he had Phoenix at six. Don't see that. So the only thing is, all right. So I don't see that at all. Um, I had a moment yesterday where I was like, maybe we we'll get the number one seed. Like you know, the Lakers take most of the time off and they rest, and they just decide doesn't matter. We'll go. We're so good, that, and they are that good. They're just loaded. Um, that they'll go to the playoffs, and that you know the Clippers just. Have a few, I think the Clippers are really good. I think the Clippers are. I think the Clippers are the team that's being untalked, uh, underrated right now. Actually, um, but um, nonetheless, you know. So the clip, you know, we catch the clip. Like we're in a race with the Clippers for the number one seed. Like that. That thought crossed my mind um, the other day. So I, I, but I also let's just you know let's be clear for a second. The seasons cut by 12%. So, you know, if you're playing somebody in ping pong, you know, is going to beat you the way that you can beat them is short in the game because you've changed the, you've changed the, you know, potential outcomes. And so having a shorter season will compact the standings. And then teams are really close. Like I think there's nine teams from, you know, I think the Lakers are better than everyone. I think the Clippers might be better than everyone, but let's say they're not, or that the Lakers take, you know, rest a considerable amount, then one through nine is going to be separated by like four games. So, you know, I can tell you, I think the Jazz are the third best team and the Rick can say that the Jazz are the seventh or eighth best team. And it sounds really dramatic, but I actually don't think it is. I think it's like a game or two. So why are you so high on the Clippers? Because they clearly had chemistry issues. Paul George, we have seen up close and personal he's in Oklahoma City. I know he had success in the playoffs and was well thought of as a playoff performer early in his career, but that has not been the case the last three years or so. And they got a new coach, and there's still different rules for Kawhi Leonard and everybody else. Is that really all going to work out? Or is all the change actually going to help improve the chemistry that was so bad? All right, so they had all these chemistry problems, and there's no question they had them. Um, but they also won a lot of basketball games last year, right? They were the two seed, weren't they, with all those problems? Yeah. With Kawhi and Paul George not playing very much and Paul George coming off a shoulder surgery and hardly playing at all to start the year? So, like, okay, they had all those problems. Those were clear and obvious, and they were accentuated in the bubble, and there will be a bubble aspect of this that – maybe accentuates it as well, but they also won an awful lot of games last year. Um, and we're the second best team in the West and they're way better than they were a year ago. I mean, they went 49 and 23 last year. So they, they weren't, they were well on their way to winning about 55, 56 games. Uh, Luke Kennard's an upgrade, gives them more ball movement, another shooter. Serge Ibaka's an upgrade. 
And, like, I don't know if this is fair entirely since I wasn't on the inside, but let's just deduce a few things. Okay, the player during the season who went to the media and talked about the fact that they had internal problems and they weren't getting along and that guys needed to do to change things and the way we had it before was better was Montrez Harrell. And then Montrez Harrell said to the media, it felt like, the, you know, the Clippers, I don't know if the Clippers must not have wanted me back. They never even offered. Well, okay, well, maybe they didn't want you back. Maybe actually that's where a lot of the chemistry problem lies. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of that going on here, that maybe they've actually adjusted and taken care of some of their chemistry problems a little bit more than, you know, we realize when they um, – by just the little roster shifts. Serge Ibaka's worked with Kawhi before, and they're good. I mean, they're really, really good. So, yeah, I think they're being really missed. And I think Tyrone Lue, if he has a strength as a head coach, from everything I've talked to people who've worked with him or know him, or, is that, you know, he gets the, the guys to play. Like, they respect him and they listen to him. If memory serves, Joe Ingles struggled with the second unit compared to the first unit. I assume he's going to be coming off the bench. How do they make sure that that situation is better than it was last year? Because I think they've changed who the second unit is. Um, I don't think that Joe struggled post-December 25th um, or December 24th, like when they made the changes. But, you know, that second unit to start for him was Emmanuel Moutier and Jeff Green. Um, just watching practice every day during that time period, I would say there was just an aspect of things that you just could tell Joe wasn't comfortable with and couldn't play his regular role um, in that in that time period. So I I could see it every day at practice that there was an element where Joe was not comfortable. I think once you added Jordan Clarkson to that group, um, you know Joe actually got a pretty good little thing going with Tony Bradley there for a little while. Um, I, I think Joe got better. I mean, Joe had a really inconsistent season last year from, you know, just kind of a, an absent start to an, a not particularly not. He didn't his bubble performance wasn't what I was anticipating um, from him. But that middle stretch of games of that kind of 35 game stretch, my memory would be he shot well over 40 percent from three. I mean, I, I, I think if you go to pre bubble and I'm now looking it up. So here it is. I had it in my notes, you know, December 24th to the March 11th, he shot 46% from the field, 41% from three. He averaged 10 points a game, four rebounds and six assists. That's in 30 minutes. That's, you know, that's Joe at his peak. So I, I think the, the struggles took place um, with the Jeff green and Emmanuel Moutier's ball dominance. Um, and they, and, they went away when, when they kind of changed with that, that roster. And I think he'll be playing with Mike. I, I suspect that Mike or Donovan will be on the floor for all 48 minutes, and I suspect that Derek and Rudy will be on the floor for all 48 minutes. So when Joe Ingles is on the floor, uh, if assuming it's the bench unit, the bench unit, in my mind, if Donovan's on the floor, it's not the bench unit. <laughs> so if Donovan's sitting, Conley's there, if Gobert is sitting, Favors is there, Clarkson is there, that that feels like a pretty – I only need one more guy. That feels like a pretty good bunch, bench unit. No, right. I mean, I think I think the bench unit could be really – you know, yeah. So, I mean, I think the bench unit is Conley, Clarkson, Ingles, Favors. And then likely Niang is a fabulous shooter. But I do think that there's some other things you could do 
in that group. Um, Boyan and Rudy have matched minutes last year, um, much more than I realized when it was going on. I've talked about it a lot since, only because we went to the bubble and tried to look at lineups without Boyan and suddenly realized that there weren't any, like Boyan and Rudy were on the floor every minute together. I suspect that stays the same. And so when you kind of start building these lineups, I think you think of, and it's really complicated. I mean, they have eight guys who probably could play close to 30 minutes a night. Well, that's all 240 minutes right there. So it's really complicated to try to figure out how you're fitting in all the minutes and if Favors is playing any minutes at the four with Rudy, then where's Niang getting any time? Because Boyan's probably, and then Boyan's sliding to the three some of the time. I think they have like three different starting lineups, four different starting lineups they could use. Um, the rotation stuff's really complicated with this group, but I do think there's some principles. I think Donovan or Mike are on the floor at all times. Derek or Rudy are on the floor at all times. And Boyan matches Rudy. And then build from there. And um, and so that bench unit might... And I think you're going to see Oni and Brantley get an opportunity to have time and play. And maybe Morgan as well. So then the two rooks are just G League guys? I just can't imagine those guys can play at all this year. I just can't imagine. I mean, there's just... If... I mean... I guess, you know, Azabuke may be able to play a little this year in the sense he's just so big that he just has that advantage and he just plays. Um, but you haven't played since March. There is something to, it's brutal, but the whole car wash these guys go through where they go to everyone's camp and they do all these workouts and they do all that stuff is an introduction to the NBA. Like it's a little bit how, you know, if you go to those workouts, you know, they'll be working on something and they'll say, okay, in the end, we guard the pick and roll like this, do it like this. Well, that's different than how you guard it in college. Like, you don't actually ever have to really go over on a pick and roll in college because there isn't anybody in college that can just pull up off the dribble and bury a three very often. And you don't really have to go, like, you know, rip through on a high pick and roll and blow up the, the spacing because spacing in college is so bad. So there's just a whole different way you guard the pick and roll as a defensive player. And I've watched numerous times where like the coaches are like, okay, this is how we guard the pick and roll in the NBA. And the guy tries to do it and he can barely can't understand it, but it's the beginning of the introduction of what he's, what they're going to do. So they didn't get that. It's not that they didn't get summer league. They didn't get the 13 days of practice or whatever it is, 10 days of practice prior to summer league where they go through the system. Then they didn't get summer league. Then there's a whole period of time where those guys come to the city and they start to work, and it's probably in the middle of late August, and they play from August to October in the team's gym, working out, and sometimes one-on-one with coaches if they want to. There's some legalities where they can and can't do, so I'm not saying what it is, but I don't remember, you know. But they're working with people. They're not, And then, starting in September, there's the whole OTAs where the, all the college players have gone to college, so the pros come back to their home towns, and they start playing games. They didn't get any of that. There's no chance these guys are ready to play. I don't think, other than rookies on teams where, for marketing and developmental purposes, they have no choice but to play them. Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, maybe James Wiseman, though he has COVID and is not like gone through one minute training camp. So I can't imagine. I can't actually imagine he plays. I don't know when he plays. Um, and has he missed all? He's just going to miss all training camp. Um, these guys have no chance. It's like totally unfair. If Elijah Hughes finds a way to get like eight minutes a night for the Jazz this year, he's going to be fabulous because he's playing the biggest uphill battle. Seniors maybe closer to being ready than um, than eighteen, nineteen year old first year players, but I, I can't imagine rookies having any impact at all this year. 
I'm kind of thinking they're not going to practice much during the season playing 37 games 100%. in 71 days. I mean, it's 100%. just— 100%. But also, no, it, Quinn talked about that he is—he wants to—he knows that that's such a grind that he wants to give guys days off as opposed to trying to limit their meeting, their, their minutes in a game, to say, you know, on this back-to-back or whatever— you're not playing, and he says it really helps the guy who replaces him because then that guy knows, okay, I don't have to look over my shoulder. They need me to play 20 or 25 or 30 minutes, depending on you know who it is and what position and all that stuff. And also, you know, he said the thing we're all going to have to be ready to roll with. I mean, you hope there's no positive COVID tests, but the league is crazy if the league thinks there are going to be no positive COVID tests, right? I mean, right. Look at what's happened with the NFL and with college football. So you may lose a guy out of your rotation for two weeks. I mean, you just and that and that'll be eight or nine games. So when you add up, hey, these guys have to play. There's eight guys playing 240 minutes. Well, there's a bunch of reasons why every guy isn't going to be available every night. Which, when it's Gobert or Favors who's out for whatever reason, means isn't Azubuike have to play, or are you going to go with another lineup? Yeah. Uh, I think you. I mean, I, well, I think Morgan could play before Azubuike yeah, just because yeah. he knows how. It's, I mean, I think the Jazz have built themselves their COVID team, right? So Shaq Harrison, Mia Oni can play the two or the three. Brantley can probably play the three or the four, and Morgan can play the four or the five. Right? There's your COVID protection team. Like it's a funny concept, right? So we are at a point here where ten through fourteen on your roster is going to matter this year, for exactly all the reasons you just talked about. Um, there's, I've always thought this, and maybe this is the year, no one's going to do it, but this is, there's some data out that says, you know, in the second game of a back-to-back, that a player, I think, is like 12% slower than they are, on, which is a lot. On a, uh, That might be high, but go, just there's a number out there. I can't exactly remember it, and I wasn't prepared for it today. Um, but I've always wondered, so obviously, Kevin Durant and LeBron and Donovan and Rudy and the best players in the league, 12% less value of them is still better than anything else. So you just roll with it. But on the second tier player, like 12% less of Royce O'Neal or Joe Ingles is actually a problem. So I actually have always wondered that if you should have just had back-to-back teams, right? So you have team A is going to play on game one and team B is going to play on game two. And so team A is, you know, your core three, Donovan, Rudy, and Boyan, it doesn't matter if they're off by a little bit, they're still so good that you want them on the floor. And then you're actually intermixing your one night, Joe is off and Mia Oni is playing. And night two, Royce is off and Jarrell Brantley's playing. And you actually just have it pre-scheduled that every time you have a back-to-back, you have Team A and you have Team B. Like, I've always wondered whether teams should be doing that. Wow. <laughs> That's it? You're just blown away, PK? <laughs> I'm paying that kind of money to go watch Team B. We're not sure I like that as a fan. But it's not. It's not that it's Team B. It's that Team B is better, right? Yeah, but I if, want, doesn't matter. I want the stars. It's all what I think. No, I, but what, if you heard what, what I said, like show. you're playing your primary three guys because even them decreased ability is better than their backup, right? True. But but you know, quite frankly, at, thir- at the other guys, maybe not. Like you know, a tired a, a tired. Royce O'Neal or tired Joe Ingles might not be better than Terrell Brantley or Mia Oni for a night. I can buy that. My better solution and, and, would be to and the long-term the advantage of Joe and Royce or whomever not playing well tires, right? Like that's also when you get hurt, and there is a value to you know not fatiguing. You know, the interesting thing on the bubble without travel was these guys stayed at peak performance, um, 
and talking to Mike Elliott, who's our just incredibly talented head of all of our medical stuff. He's got a really impressive title, but he's really nice guy is the other one I would give you. Um, he and I were talking in DC once these would be the things about my job that I can't do anymore. David, thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, about, um, it's my fault. I'll own it. We just, you know, we just happened to bump into each other in an elevator and hold a conversation that I haven't forgotten yet. Three years later where we were talking about peak performance and he was saying, we were happened to be at that point on a road trip. I think we were off for two or three days. And he's like, this is actually the biggest danger. This is the biggest struggle for us is when our players are suddenly off for two or three days at a time. They've now dropped out of peak performance level. When they're playing every other day, they're actually holding at peak performance. It's great for them. And he actually made the point, I hope I'm representing it correctly, that even if you're playing, yeah, you can play four out of five, that's bad. Three out of four is tough. But even if, he says you're better off playing back-to-back nights than you are sometimes resting for three because you drop out of your peak performance. The regularity of play this year should keep players at peak performance level and might be okay. You want another hypothesis I have not heard? And maybe if Mike Elliott or Eric Waters or Barnett or one of our esteemed people on their medical staff is driving in right now, they can text me whether I'm wrong or not because that's the level our communication's at. Thanks, David. Appreciate you pointing that out. Um, just I'm, a, I'm a truth teller, um, big guy. I'm a truth teller. Uh, the uh, I actually think that everyone's talking about this season wrong right now. Everyone's like, oh, the poor Lakers and the poor Heat. It's the shortest period of time ever in the history of the game between the end of the season and the start. They might be mentally tired. But I actually think that those teams, Denver, Boston, Miami, and the Lakers, who were playing high-level basketball most recently, have a, with the shortened training camp, without the OTAs, without the regular ramp-up they usually have, have an advantage over everybody else that their bodies were at peak physical condition most recently. Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks were at peak physical condition most recently nine months ago. They played their last game nine months to today. The teams that like were in the bubble and like exited early, it's that's a pretty long period of time actually. So and those players like Davis Bertans who sat out the bubble or Avery Bradley, they're at nine plus months since they've had their body at peak performance. And at certain ages, I think that's gonna be really hard for players to get back to. I so my take on this is it's being talked about backwards. I think the Lakers, the Celtics, the Heat and the Nuggets, and then the next year would be the Jazz and the Thunder and those teams have an advantage, and the Jazz are fairly early exit, right? First round, not second round. Have an advantage over everybody else that they were at peak performance most recently and will be able to ramp back up most quickly. So I have been uh, asking around about the Gobert contract, and I have gotten uh, negotiations. Not, it's not a done deal. Um, and I've gotten a wide range from people who just don't want to talk about it they just no comment me and just can't wait to hang up the phone <laughs> to uh, people who think it's it's hard but it's doable to people who think this is how negotiations are and that's I mean if you're Donovan Mitchell and realistically in the open market somebody would have given him 35 or 40 million so there's really no negotiation you give them the max but that's a rare deal because Rudy's eligible for a super max and nobody's given him $60 million on the open market, right? So there's actually room for a negotiation. And somebody's saying, David, they're not $100 million apart. I mean, it's a negotiation, so of course it's hard. And they don't have to have it done opening day. So let it breathe. Give it time. I mean, yes, the trade deadline's out there March 25th. And so if we get down the road, it's a bigger deal. So how worked up, should, how stressed should Jazz fans be about this? 
Oh, I'd be pretty stressed out about it. Um, only because uh, primarily the reason I'd be stressed out about it is because Rudy's awesome, and you want to get Rudy um, back, right? Like, so I'd be. I mean, I think it's super important to the well-being of the franchise's future, and so. I mean, I'd be, in that sense, I'd be stressed out about it because I care, right? Like, I care greatly if the Jazz are good and when the, the Rudy is unique um, to who the Jazz are. And he's, you know, two players in the NBA defended shots below 51% last year. Rudy Gobert and Brooke Lopez, only one team in the NBA last year, defensively held a team in the bottom five of shots taken at the rim and the bottom five of shots taken from three, the Jazz. Like, you know, the Rudy Gobert with any other small or power forward on the floor has been plus eight over the years. Like it doesn't matter if it's, and most of them are out of the league at this point. Like it doesn't matter if it's Pablo Cephalosha or Jonas Derebko or Jay Crowder or Joe Johnson or Derek Favors over the collection of three years. He did the last time they were together. They were only, I think plus three, but prior to that, they were plus nine and plus 12. Like it doesn't matter who you put boy on plus eight. Tabo plus eight, Jonas plus eight. Like it doesn't Jay Crowder plus eight. It doesn't matter. Rudy's awesome. So, uh, I, you know, I'd be stressed out because I think Rudy is the core to what makes us a team that, you know, he's the one who's been to the second round of playoffs twice. There's nobody else. He and Joe are the only guys on the roster who've done it twice, right? They did it with the Gordon team, with Gordon, and then they did it with Donovan. So, you know, to me, Rudy is just unbelievably, uh, sorry, it's bad English. Rudy is unique, and he changes the game in a manner that is different than any other player in the league. So I certainly want him resigned. David, we appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Yak is notifying us we're way over and we have to go. Yeah, but like there are times when brilliance just overrides the clock. Like let's not just be robots. <laughs> right? Jeez Louise. <laughs> Man, you've changed over 20 years, that's for sure. Thank you, David. See ya. Over nine months, too. Yeah, that too. (laughs) David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz. They played the Suns Saturday night. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, still to come, we've got to talk with the uh, Buffs beat writer for the Boulder Daily Camera, Brian Howell, about Colorado and Utah. That's coming up at 9.05. Stay with us. Let's go! The Big Show. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. David Locke with us. What's the biggest question about this Jazz team you're looking forward to being answered? We made the offensive paradigm shift last year, and it worked. We were the number one offensive team after getting Jordan from December 24th till the stoppage of play. Now we've added favors with the hope of bringing back the number one defensive unit we had in the past. But Derek Favors was on the floor with Jay Crowder for virtually every minute of that season when Rudy Gobert was not on the floor. How important was Jay Crowder and Ricky Rubio and those other players to that defense? That's the biggest question that I have. It's not just sticking Derek Favors back in that unit because the other players around him aren't as good defensively as the players that Derek Favors was playing with. The Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Zero Res. A clean home is a festive home. And Zero Res has a deal for you. $33 per room for carpet cleaning. Schedule at least three rooms and get an extra room clean for free. Schedule with Zero Res today. Call them at 801-288-9376. All right, PK, that was a lot of stuff there with David Locke. He covered a lot of ground. The Jazz are going to be on Saturday night. Of course, college football will be on at the same time, so there will be a lot of channel surfing going on. You got one thing you want to see out of the Jazz in the preseason? No. Nothing. Just get me to December 23rd in the regular season. Well, I'm not going to make any judgments. I think the more intriguing thing is Chris Paul. If you look at it from the NBA perspective, right? 
and he's changing teams. He had a great season. He's, what, 35 years of age. Phoenix has lacked at that position. They got Rubio, so they were better at that position than they had been. Consequently, they had a better record. And obviously Paul is better than Rubio, but nobody really cares about the Suns. But no, with a veteran team like this, no, really. I mean, we Favors is your big addition, and it's not like Bojan last year who was a big addition, and Conley, obviously, and they had never played. Your big addition has the most Been experience ever with the Jazz <laughs> than, than any of the other guys. It's crazy. The newest guy is the most experienced guy. That's, that's an odd mix. Yeah. You know, I think the interesting thing, is not just in Chris Paul, but I think not all – but a lot of the Western teams are counting guys who are, who are getting pretty late in their career at a point where we have seen NBA players in previous generations, like when it goes, sometimes it goes really quickly and the production just falls off a cliff. And if it were to happen to any of these guys, it would have a big impact on the team, right? And it would be a different guy in, the, in his 30s that you'd be looking for on each team. Uh, with the Jazz, you could look at Conley, right? And I think with the Suns, you'd look at Paul. You sure. know, if you're once you're into your 30s yeah. and you're six foot ish, even if you're six one or six two, um, I had an NBA scout uh, telling me this. He's like, you don't realize how awesome these six foot and six foot two guys are, because every coach is smart enough to try to get them in a bad matchup with a very good six 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 eight six nine guy. He says, if you're in your pickup game down at your local gym and you're six feet tall or you're 5'10", and you see a 5'5 guy, you go at him, right? Because he's giving up five inches. He says, well, these guys are giving up five inches. And yet, they're these really good NBA players. Do you know how awesome you have to be to pull that off? And so, when you lose it at six feet, uh, it's over in a hurry. And I think we're all waiting for LeBron at some point. I mean, he's not the six-foot guy. But LeBron... I mean, how long can he do this and be the, the best player? When have you ever seen a 5'5 five, five guy at the gym? Oh, I have. You've never <laughs> seen a 5'5 five, five guy at the gym? I don't want to get into it too much, but there's a gym I used to go to, PK, here, here in Utah. And he was there as a 5'5 five, five guy, and he was there with headbands, <laughs> and he had sweatbands on both wrists. Oh, and he yeah. doesn't belong out there. He could have been 6'5". He was a doof. And, and yet... <laughs> People wanted to get matched up so on So it wasn't about being 5'5". Five, five. It was the fact that he was a doof. You see a 5'5 five, five guy, you go at him. <laughs> see a 5'7 five, five, guy, you go at him. Okay, I could have lived with 5'7". Five, but 5'5"? Five, five? Well, I think the guy was making a point when he was talking to me. Like, you know a 5'10 guy goes at a 5'5 five, five guy. Nobody knows who your scout is, so you can say his I'm not gonna. I'm not going to do it. Somebody does know who he is. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I guarantee you somebody knows who it is. You're, you're so mysterious. I was talking to an NBA yeah. scout. Yep. <laughs> and he said, if yep. you go, if you see a 5'5 five, five guy, <laughs> <laughs> you go at him. That guy, give that scout a raise. He knows himself some hoop, man. If you see a 5'5 five, five guy, you clear out. You call for the ball. You tell the screener, get out. I got this 5'5 five, five guy, and I'm taking him to the rack. <laughs> Earl Boykin says hello, right? <laughs> you see this five-five guy, man. They took your adrenaline. You could just uh, you're. It just went through the roof. You're in a ball of five-five guy. How about this? You go to the gym. I'm gonna make it even worse. You see a girl. What do you do? DJ PK. Easy? 
It's 97.5. You go to break. (laughs) DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Football Fridays here on the Zone Sports Network and coverage of the Raiders game against the Colts is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raiders debit card. Same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. Question of the day can be will you shake off last week's devastating loss? Can Utah beat undefeated Colorado? These are the most pressing questions. And what are your answers? Shane, so negative. Utah will take the lead in the first half, then play conservative and lose the game in the second half. Uh, right? So when I was posting up Danny DeVito. Utah will win, <laughs> Scotty says, if they can control turnovers and stupid penalties. TDS stupid. will probably win. Both teams need to win. Utah for pride. TDS for a chance at a decent bowl game. Isn't the bowl game they're going to pretty much written in stone? Somebody yeah, back at so. ESPN has probably already figured that out. The yeah. matchup, or it's dependent on something. You know, we had Boston College just decide they're not going to a bowl game. As other schools turn down bowls, it might change, but it's not based on what happens in this game. No, I was listening to Brett McMurphy yesterday, and he was saying he knows of three others, but he was uh, doing a guest, so he didn't want to break it on the guest show. Do it on your own stuff. So he says that there's going to be more and more teams. And when you think about it, because of the bowl situation, you know, before you go for four, five, six days, you do all these activities, blah, blah, blah. You have some fun. You do some service work, visit a hospital, whatever it might be. We're well, not going to do any of that. It's basically just going to be an away game where you fly in the day before, play the game, and then leave. So <clears throat> you can see some kids, and I wouldn't blame them if they didn't want to do it, and maybe even some schools say, you know, we've been under this COVID deal for so long, just go home and and lay low there. So we'll have to see on that. But as far as the bowl, for BYU's perspective, I agree with you. That doesn't mean you don't want to win. It's your last game at home. You're coming off a loss. And if you lose this, the whole world's going to be, see, I told you. And you're, not only David Pollock, everybody would be saying, basically, uh, committee, you were right, because Pollock apologized to the committee for having him 13th this, uh, you know, when they lost to the Coastal. But losing to San Diego State would just be completely unacceptable because it would be two losses. Although your Daily Aztec, I'm reading a story on the Daily Aztec, which is a student newspaper, mm-hmm. expect Brady Hoke and the Aztecs to be ready to exploit one of, if not the most overrated teams in college football and come out of Utah with the upset win. Uh-huh. Great. <laughs> so a sophomore at San Diego State thinks the Aztecs are going to win. Thank you. And a fan who has the commitment of a sophomore in high school thinks they're going to lose. And <laughs> nice. you. So it's the same thing. I do think BYU is going to win the game. So do I. But I don't think it's a, uh, and, I, and I hate to go German here, a fait accompli. <laughs> you can always turn the ball over four times and blow a college football game. Or you could just get beat. I don't think it, I don't think BYU needs to play. It's, you're insinuating that BYU needs to play really, really lousy. I don't think that's the case. I think they can get beat without playing really, really lousy. Now, of course, you can play. The ball can – you can get a tip. You know, you can argue the Devils lost to uh, SC because the ball gets batted up. Yeah, and right. falls right in the hands of yeah. the kid who's standing there. And, you know, that's a that's obviously a fortunate, a fortuitous uh, deflection, I guess you would say. Those things happen. 
and you lose by one point. Sure. Then you can live with that. But the, a, the problem the Aztecs face is they played three quarterbacks this year. Yak and I were looking up all that. One of them had a hamstring issue, so it's, it may be partly production, but it's also partly health. But in the other cases, the other guys, it's been production issues. And I just think BYU, and I think you think this too, that BYU's defense is good enough that if you don't throw the ball very well and they know they have to stop the run, they're going to. And I, I know the option thing ran on him. Mean, I know San Diego State's got a good running attack, and their running backs haven't been healthy all year. But even assuming their running backs are healthy, it's hard to run against a really good defense when they're, they know you can't throw the ball. And, and if they could throw the ball, they wouldn't have gone through three quarterbacks this year. Well, if you can't throw the ball or you don't throw the ball, what's the difference? That's the way I yeah. look at okay. it. Okay, so the there's that. Wasn't yeah. going, whether they could throw the ball or not, it didn't matter. They weren't going to. That's not the essence of their offense. And San Jose State, if they win this game, it's not going to be based on offense anyway. So that that's the reality of it. If they want to win, it's going to have to be a defensive struggle and maybe get an advantage through a turnover or a special teams, whatnot. That's the formula for them winning. That doesn't change. I already knew. I've known that for weeks. And it's possible. Not probable, but possible. And I also think that the BYU, they're to me, their offense was the most disappointing aspect of that game last week. The defense, we can rag on them all we want. But 22 but points David, is usually yeah, a winning number. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, I mean, David Nixon brought that up several times. He's a defensive guy, so he's you know obviously going to be aligned a little bit towards the defense. But, yeah, they still only gave up a, a respectable amount of points. It wasn't like 35-plus. And so, and I realize with a bunch of long drives, you know, maybe you're not going to score a ton of points uh, because you're going to use a lot of time. And the, the BYU's offense didn't have a lot of opportunity, but they also blew they blew it because I expected them to be of the four aspects of the game. I expected them when I say you know your offense against our defense versus vice versa, and you come up with that that type of thing to reach the four. I realize you know offense, defense, special teams equals three, but I expected the most productive aspect of that game would have been BYU's offense, and I didn't get it. And now I'm expecting these guys to – they've got something to prove as far as I'm concerned. You, you did some other stuff against other teams, but i got to see you get – got to admit, and you badmouth your team because you're a fan, I can understand. You can't really badmouth the defense. I'm not badmouthing the defense. Right. I badmouth so, the passing game and Brady Hoke and not in that order. And I expect <laughs> BYU's offense to show me something because if you move the ball against this defense – It's a good defense. Yeah, you're showing it's me a, something. It's and a good And they got to do that. And I don't think they're going to roll up 50. I'm not saying that. Right, but they they lost last, BYU lost to San Diego State last year because they scored three points. It was a 13 to three game. I know, it was freakishly low scoring. This sucked. Yeah, and and the defense has been good for a while. I mean, they went 10 and three last year, and the the San Diego State offense was really struggling at the end of last year. I mean, they had a bunch of games where they scored 10, 13, 17 points. It was I don't know what it was. It's four or five in a row or something like that. It was really bad. But the defense has been a rock all along. The defense is very good. And the running game is good, too, especially when you figure that everybody knows what's coming. I mean, everybody knows what they're going to do. Well, if I'm Gunnar Romney, assuming he plays, and I line up and I see a 5-5 defensive back, I'm going to take him. Good. Good for you. <laughs> BYU's passed the old 5-7, uh, the, the five, 5-8 five, defensive back, though. That was the thing of the past. 
No, no, not not for the Cougars. That's I'm talking about if I'm Gunnar Romney and I see across the line, see if or Dax Mill, anybody. If I'm uh, Isaac Rex and I see a five five linebacker trying to guard me, what am I going to do? I'm going to take him to the rack. You know what I'm saying, Yak? Know what I'm saying? <laughs> know what I'm saying? <laughs> so cutting edge. Brian Howe, Colorado Buffalo's B-Rider for the Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera, coming up next.